1: We all tend to project an image of God on what we think God should be, not as he truly is. How arrogant is that? The commandment is, Thou shalt not make any graven images in the heavens, on the earth, or the waters below. So God basically says, You must not imagine me to be whatever you want me to be. You must allow your imagination to be regulated by truth.
0: Today. 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 With Jeff Vines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill. Thanks for joining me. Today, Pastor Jeff finishes a message from his series on the Ten Commandments. So far, he's looked at coveting, stealing, and honoring parents. You can hear the whole series wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines. But now, let's get into the rest of a message on making idols. Some idols in the Bible we may not relate to today. But we'll hear from Pastor Jeff as he continues to look at what idols we might make in our current culture.
1: The commandment is, Thou shalt not make any graven images in the heavens, on the earth, or the waters below. Now, be careful. Thou shalt not imagine me. When we talk about image, we think it's only physical. Now we move into the second part of this, but it's also mental. Because any physical image you have comes from a mental image you had first. So God basically says, you must not imagine me to be whatever you want me to be. You must allow your imagination to be regulated by truth, by objective truth. J.I. Packer, the great British theologian said, the second commandment means that any statement that begins with, I like to think of God as, should not be trusted. All right, let's take a little time out here. This is so important, folks. And all of you have grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles that say, "Well, I think God is like this." Well, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, you go ahead, but you could be wrong. Especially since your idea of God is self-serving. It's going to be the kind of God you want. Think of how arrogant that is. Hey, how do you like that when somebody projects an image onto you? How do you want to respond? You, want, hey, wait a minute! I'm me. I'm not a book you can edit. You know you can't just carry an image around in your pocket. This is me. I'm the real me. In our world today, when objective truth has been thrown out the window, I mean, oh, it, this is this is more important now than probably that it's been in human history. Because we are denying objective truth. Right now, if you go to university settings, there's this thing called the transcendental signified. So at our university campuses right now, our kids are being taught, there's no such thing as a transcendental signified. That is, there's no such thing as words that have absolute meaning. Now, the motivation behind this is so that we can rewrite history. So we can take what is written in history and change the words to mean what we feel they mean rather than objectively what they mean. And so we're doing the same thing. Before I move on, does anybody see the problem with this? Uh, so if somebody comes up to me and says, do you know words have no absolute meaning? The problem is you had to use words with absolute meaning to tell me that words had no absolute meaning. You with me? So you're in trouble from the get-go. And then we take the same objective, subjective argument and we apply it to God. Say, it doesn't, no, no, no. Whatever you think God is, that's good. However you feel God to be, that's good. So I like to kind of turn the table. I said, okay, I feel that God is a mean, mean God who just likes to watch you squirm. And they'll say, well, God couldn't be like that. And I'll say, well, hey, you just told me that God is whatever I feel God is. So if I tell you that God just likes murdering people, why, why should you complain about that? Down deep inside, we know the more you clobber the absolute, the more it will clobber you. There is an objectivity to God. And the second commandment is God saying, don't worship me as you want me to be. Don't think of me as you want me to be. Worship me and think of me as I reveal myself to be and as I really am. Now, one final illustration, then we'll, we'll bring some closure here. I, we all do this. I have, I've created my own reality when it comes to my car. Okay? Because I hate taking my car to the garage and being raked over the coals because I don't know anything about cars and I have no desire to learn anything about cars. I just want to push the little pedal and go and the other one and stop. And so I've created this reality that I honestly think nothing's ever wrong with my car. <laughs> uh, seriously. So when, when uh, let's say the, 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 the light comes on that tells me that my tires are low, I just say to myself, well, it's going to be warm pretty soon and the, the heat on the concrete will expand and they'll, they'll, they'll be all right. <laughs> you know, heat expands cold contracts. Uh, when the lights come on in the dashboard, I say, well, there obviously there's a fuse out. Now, if there was a fuse out, the light wouldn't come on. But I tell myself, I've created my reality so that I don't have to take the car to the garage, have somebody pick me up, take me to work, find a way to back to the garage. So I just don't ever take the car to the garage. I've created my own reality. The only thing that I do is when the gas light comes on, I'll fill up the tank. I don't want to be walking. <laughs> now, this little reality that I've created is really cool for me. But you know, I find that it's expensive (laughs) because when you create your own reality that is not objective, you're on a collision course for that reality rearing its ugly head. And it's going to cost you a lot. Now you think about the statements that we hear all the time about God. I just can't believe in a God who would judge anybody. I just can't believe in a God who allows pain and suffering. I just can't believe in a God that says you can't have sex outside of marriage. I just can't believe in a God who would deny two people the the, the opportunity to get married just because they're the same sex. Now, the problem is if you go to every culture on planet earth, you're going to find hundreds of these statements. The ones that bother you won't bother them. And the ones that bother them won't bother you. Because we all tend to project an image of God on what we think God should be, not as he truly is. And again, I want to mention, how arrogant is that? <laughs> I mean, if, if we knew and understood everything about God, then we'd be God. But we don't have the wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding. We don't know the intricate details of creation itself. We know about two ounces of this universe. So much is left unknown. And in the second commandment, God simply says, hey, I'm not safe. I'm not tame. I'm not God on a leash. I'm not your God in the box. I'm not a God you can put in your pocket. And if you imagine me to be a God other than the one that I really am, you're on a collision course with a reality that's not going to be good for you. Now, somebody says, but Jeff, no, I can't be wrong because I feel that God is this way. And my response is yes. And I feel the lack of maintenance is going to make my car keep running. It's not about how you feel. It's about objectively who is God. Now, the next thing is, but Jeff, if you tell me that I got to obey and serve and follow the God that is real, and it's possible that the God I'm serving is one that I projected an image of myself onto, how can I know with certainty, how can I possibly know what God is like? Ah, now you've gone and done it. You've asked the question that God wanted you to ask from day one. How do I know what God is really like? Now, let's go back to the beginning of the sermon and pick up that icon illustration. And let's read this passage. Back to Colossians, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Now, guess what the Greek word for image is? Icon. That's where we get the word. So the Bible says that Jesus is the icon of God. That when you click on Jesus, you get God. But Jesus is a very unique icon. Because when you click on this icon, you don't merely get a representation of God, you get the whole picture. That's what he means in Colossians 1:17 and 19. He says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So when you click on Jesus, you get God. God says, you must not create any graven images. You must not create any icons because I've already given you one and his name is Jesus. And in Jesus, the fullness of the Godhead dwells. Do you understand that? Now, my goodness, where do we go from here? <laughs> so, Pastor Jeff, you're saying that God is knowable. Now, obviously, there are things you're not going to know about God because you're not God, but you're saying God's revealed himself that I can know about God by looking into the face of Christ. That's exactly what I'm saying. Just, just quickly, you know, there is a powerful, powerful verse in 2 Corinthians. I think it's 6 4. It could be 4 6. I'm sorry. It's one or the other. I'm pretty sure it's 4 6. Now, it's one little statement that Paul makes that shows you his brilliance, because if you remember something about Paul, Paul is a Hebrew by birth, right? He's living in a Greek city of Alexandria when he's writing these uh, epistles, or some of them, and he uh, he is a citizen of Rome, so he's a Hebrew by birth. He lives in a Greek city. He's a citizen of Rome. To Rome, the, the, the ideal was glory. The, the, the glory of the Roman Empire, the epochs all roads lead to Rome. To the Hebrew, the ideal was light. Light has come into the world. Light has exposed what is in darkness. And to the Greek, it was all about what? Wisdom, the sophists, the wisdom, the philosophers. Now, in one sentence, Paul just... Brings an incredible enlightenment about who Jesus is. Because in that one verse, he says, God has shown his light on us. He says, he has brought to us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus, our Lord. (laughs) What's he saying? He's saying that the end of all of our pursuits found in the face of Christ Jesus. You want to see God, you look at Jesus. Now, there's so many directions I could go here, but because of time, I just want to give you a quick one. If you want to know who God is, you got to click on the icon again. And according to the revelation of God, you meet Jesus first in the Gospels. So it's been so long since many of you have clicked on the icon of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that you've allowed the world to sway you into who Jesus is, and you've forgotten who he truly is. Now, the problem with that is because you don't have these pictures of Christ by the Gospels, then when you come to certain situations in your life, the Holy Spirit has no ammunition to activate to give you the right word at the right time and the right place to give you victory. <laughs> See, the Spirit works in conjunction with revelation, which is the word of God. So you've been busy reading books about the Bible and articles about the Bible, but it's been so long since you clicked on the Jesus icon to discover who Jesus really is that you feel lost. i me give you a couple examples. Some of you... The best thing you can do is find that place in your life where the most havoc is being wreaked on you right now uh, in relationships, in an addiction of some kind, uh, in worry, doubt, fear, whatever it is. The best thing you can do is look for where the most havoc is being wreaked in your life. Look at the distortion you have about God underneath it and then stick Jesus into it. Look at where your life's a mess What distorted view of God do you have underneath that? And then put Jesus into it. One example, some of you worry about everything. You worry about worrying. (laughs) You're anxious about being anxious. And the reason that you're filled with worry and anxiety is because you're assuming something about God that is not real. You projected an image onto him. And that image is that God needs your help. (laughs) That God's not on top of things. That you know better than God how your life should be going. Because if God could look down here and see what was going on, surely he would stop this. You're saying, if I don't get the job, my life is over. If I lose that money, I might as well not live. If the girl breaks it up with me, I'll never find another love. If A happens, then B will happen and my life is basically over. And if you'll press on the Jesus icon, you'll meet a Jesus who's sleeping when there's a storm. He's so at ease with God that he's sleeping when everybody else is panicking and then they wake him up and he stands out on the boat and he says, peace be still because even the winds and the waves obey him. See, but it's been so long since you've read that story and really gone through it that when you get anxious or afraid or fearful, there's no ammunition for the spirit of God to activate. You've not come to know the real God or it's been a long time because the real God can be aggressive out on the sea and say, peace be still. He can also be resilient. As you see Jesus hanging on the cross, you're supposed to see the attitude of God. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Some of you won't forgive yourself because you don't know the power of grace of God's forgiveness. <laughs> then you see Jesus in the garden. So you've got this resilient, powerful savior who's suddenly totally submissive to the will of the father. Father, is there some other way we can do this? Can this cup pass for me? Nevertheless, father, not my will, but yours be done. And he gets up and he goes to the cross man that's personal some of you worship a god you think would never allow you any hardship because your god in your mind never allows you to suffer at all or at least he shouldn't or he's a bad god bad god (laughs) but you've not read the gospels or the history of the church in acts 5 when the disciples were all beaten brutally beaten And the Bible says in Acts 5 that they walked away rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. My friend Ajay Law sent me a text and they're burning church buildings again in Northern India, the Hindu extremists. So his pastors are being torched, beaten with iron rods, dipped in hydrochloric acid, raped, tortured again. And every time I ask him, well, what can we do? What does he say? Don't pray that the persecution will end. Pray that we will be courageous enough to face it because this is how the kingdom grows. See, you've forgotten that there's a God who gives you everything but also requires everything from you. Your total allegiance. And if you think God, every time you suffer, has abandoned you, man, your whole life's going to be like this. You're going to waver in your faith and trust in God if you think that every time something bad happens in your life, it's God's abandonment rather than the truth that the cross projects. That God is able to do his best work in your life at some of the deepest, darkest moments. Yeah. You've got to click on the icon again and get to know the real God, not the one that you've developed or created in your mind. I can't stress to you enough of how clicking on the icon and, and, and saturating your mind with the gospel. the revelation of God. Look, what if I told you that while I was in Australia, uh, we went on an archeological dig and I found a book in a cave and we know that it's a book that God had written so that you would know what he was like. Would you want to have it? You do already. It's called the Bible. That's the point. You forgot. This is God's revelation to you so that you would know what he's like. And so when you're tempted with something, when something that you have in your life that's destroying you, some addiction or, you know, that thing that's getting at you. And like I said before, the one question I want to ask God when I get to heaven is, why did the devil know the one weakness? Who told him? Because that's the one he comes after in moments of victory, right? So in those moments, the only way you're ever going to have any success over the temptation that's destroying you, the only way is if you've clicked on the Jesus icon enough an example, a pastor friend of mine says that a friend came to him and said, I've got to confess something to you. I've been cheating on my wife. And he said, why have you been doing?" This? He said, you know what? I don't know. But I do know this. Every time my wife goes away for the weekend to visit her parents, I invite my mistress over. And when she comes over, I have to take all the photos in the house of me and my wife and slam them down so I can't look at them. <laughs> well, why do you have to do that? Because in all those photos, you can tell my wife really loves me. So I've got to create a separate reality in my life if I'm going to be able to cheat on her. I've got to put all those photos down, and I think as hard as I can about all the time she's been mean to me. And that enables me to have this affair with my mistress. Amazing, isn't it? He's created a separate reality that is not real. He's convinced himself my wife is mean, and she doesn't love me. Therefore, I can cheat on my wife with this mistress. Only when you have clicked on the Jesus icon enough will the Spirit of God bring those pictures like you're tempted, you're ready to do something, and suddenly the Holy Spirit activates Jesus on the cross looking at you and saying, hey, wait a minute. I did this so this would not have power over you. Have I not been crucified enough? Have I not been pierced enough? And sooner or later over time, when you saturate yourself with the gospels, you begin to notice more and more the power of the love of Jesus. And when you do that, when you face that temptation in that moment, you will no longer look at that as something, I'm going to be in trouble. God's going to get me. You'll see it. I'm about to break the heart of the one who loves me more than anybody else. And that's the best motivator of all, love. Burn the Gospels into your mind and it will change your life forever. You're impatient because you don't see the patience of God. You're bitter because you don't see the grace of God. You worry because you don't see the wisdom of God. You lack self-control because you don't see the goodness of God. And every time you click on the icon, it will build wisdom and strength and power into your life for the future. Can I, one more quick example and one quick little illustration, I'll be done, okay? When my mom died, One of the things that the Spirit of God, and I was so thankful that I'd studied Scripture so much that the Spirit of God just kept throwing these stories into my mind. But one story that kept coming in, and I think it was the way of God's comfort to me, was John 11. John 11 is the story of the raising of Lazarus. But the thing that comforted me was not so much the raising of Lazarus. Yes, I know that, look, I know when somebody says something, your mother's with God. Well, good, but she's not with me right now. Well, your mother's going to be, she's going to rise again. Well, good, but that doesn't help me right now. So it wasn't the actual raising of Lazarus that helped me. What the Spirit of God kept, I feel like kind of interjecting into my memory, into my, my constitution of belief, was the difference in the way Jesus dealt with Martha and Mary in the John 11 text. Martha was a theologian. So as soon as she meets Jesus, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says, come on, Martha. I'm the resurrection of the... I am the life and the resurrection. And whoever believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And she goes, yeah, I know. Said, same. I know he's going to rise on the last day. I got all that. And Jesus looks sternly, wait a minute. Who are you talking to here? I can raise him right now if I want to. <clears throat> But then he goes to Mary. Martha goes away and Mary comes. Mary says the same thing Martha did. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But you know what Jesus does this time? Because Mary's not a theologian. She just wants a hug. And in John 11, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Now here's why that spoke to me. It told me that this powerful God knows exactly what I need as an individual. And there's a perfect balance he can give between truth and tears. When you lose somebody, special, if you just hear truth and you're an an emotional filler type person, it's just gonna tick you off. But if you're an emotional filler type person, sorry, if you're a truth person and you just get emotion and you don't get any answers, that's gonna, it goes back to the reason no graven images. Only Jesus can give you the perfect harmony between truth and tears. But you will never know what that is outside of the gospel. So here's my challenge. All of you should walk out of here after hearing this message and say, you know what? I'm gonna spend 30 days, the next 30 days in the book of John. I'm just gonna read it every chance I get. I'm not gonna read books about the Bible. I'm even gonna put put down my devotional and I am going to read the book of John, one of the four gospels, and I'm gonna ask God to help me see God as he really is, not as I projected him to be. Because if you do that, remember what I said a few weeks ago, that I've been working all my life to try to manipulate and coerce people and I realized until you fall in love with Jesus Anything I say really doesn't matter Charles Spurgeon had written on his pulpit where he preached I would see Jesus And I've learned a great lesson in the, these last years latest years of my life My job is to give you Jesus that you would fall in love with him And when you fall in love with him all these other things that we're after will be natural byproducts If you'll do that in your own life you'll realize that all your life, your God has been way too small, that he's far greater than you could ever imagine, that he's so big, he is so great. But you'll never know that projecting your own image of God onto God. You have to click on the Jesus icon and let the spirit of God open your eyes to the truth (laughs) of who Jesus really is. He's great, he's fantastic. Father, I thank you and I praise you for the people that are here who are hungry. I pray that you would feed them. I pray that we would all have such a passion and desire to see God as he really is, as you really are, and that we would understand, as you've told us in the book of Hebrews, that in these last days you have shown us through the face of your son that all knowledge and glory and light comes to us in the face of Christ Jesus, our Lord. I pray that there would be a renewed hunger for us to know God in a very personal, intimate way and to allow God to be God and to get to know him, to remove our shoes, we're on holy ground and to get to know the God of scripture, the God of eternity that we might know again or maybe even for the first time, how great thou art in Christ's name, amen.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me